1: Hello, and welcome to TLS Voices, an occasional series of readings brought to you by the Times Literary Supplement. I'm Michael Keynes. The inspiration for this episode of TLS Voices is not a poet, or a novelist, or a dramatist, or any other kind of creative writer, but a publisher, Jacob Tonson. A Londoner born around 1655, Tonson emerged in the late 1670s as an independent bookseller of unusual shrewdness. He wisely made himself John Dryden's exclusive publisher, buying up the rights in the Poet Laureate's previously published works. He also bought the rights to Paradise Lost and brought out a grand, much improved edition of Milton's epic in 1688. It was innovatively illustrated and boasted an endorsement by Dryden claiming that Milton was the great vernacular poet. That word vernacular is significant because while Tonson's prestige rested partly on his commitment to publishing the classics, including a particularly extravagant edition of the works of Julius Caesar, he recognised that England had its classics too. Milton was one of them, Dryden would become one, and in 1709, Tonson published a seminal edition of Shakespeare, edited by the playwright Nicholas Rowe. Tonson wasn't necessarily first to publish those writers, although he could make such claims, but once he'd adopted them, he treated their works boldly, with the care and respect due to the classics. Tonson had been one of the first publishers to see the potential of advertising in newspapers, and he and Dryden had devised a modern kind of anthology in the form of a series of poetic miscellanies that would eventually include the first published work by the young Alexander Pope. Later, Tonson could proudly write that never anyone in my opinion had so fine and just notions as him. He has no equal or any pen near his. This from the man who published besides Milton and Dryden, Aphra Ben, the Earl of Rochester, and William Congreve. Tonson's nephew, another Jacob, and his nephew's sons, ably kept the business going long into the 18th century, publishing several more Shakespeare editions, including Pope's, and Samuel Johnson's. The firm of Tonson was, as Norma Clarke has put it in the TLS, the leading literary publisher of the late 17th and early 18th centuries. That claim can only be strengthened by Oxford University Press's publication of the literary correspondences of the Tonsons, edited by Stephen Bernard, who argues that the House of Tonson invented English literature as matter of repeated reading and study. Here's a small selection of some of that literature by Rochester, Pope, Aphra and, of course, Milton.
2: Alexander Pope, to a young lady on her leaving the town after the coronation. As some fond virgin, whom her mother's care drags from the town to wholesome country air... Just when she learns to roll a melting eye and hear a spark yet think no danger nigh from the dear man unwilling she must sever yet takes one kiss before she parts for ever, thus, from the world, fair Zephylinda flew, saw others happy, and with sighs withdrew. Not that their pleasures caused her discontent, she sighed not that they stayed, but that she went. She went to plain work and to purling brooks, Old-fashioned halls, dull aunts and croaking rooks. She went from opera, park, assembly, play, To morning walks and prayers three hours a day, To part her time twixt reading and bohe, To muse and spill her solitary tea, Or o'er uh, cold coffee trifle with the spoon, Count the slow clock and dine exact at noon divert her eyes with pictures in the fire, hum half a tune, tell stories to the squire, up to her godly garret after seven, there starve and pray, for that's the way to heaven. Some squire, perhaps, you take delight to rack, whose game is whisk, whose treat a toast in sack, who visits with a gun, presents you birds, then gives a smacking bus and cries, "'No words!' Or with his hound comes hollowing from the stable, makes love with nods and knees beneath a table, whose laughs are hearty, though his jests are coarse, and loves you best of all things but his horse. In some fair evening on your elbow laid, you dream of triumphs in the rural shade, in pensive thought recall the fancied scene, see coronations rise on every green, before you pass the imaginary sights of lords and earls and dukes and gartered knights, while the spread fan shades your closing eyes, then give one flirt and all the vision flies. Thus vanish sceptres, coronets and balls, and leave you in lone woods or empty walls. So when your slave, at some dear idle time, not plagued with headaches or the want of rhyme, stands in the streets abstracted from the crew and while he seems to study thinks of you just when his fancy points your sprightly eyes or sees the blush of parthenissa rise gay pats my shoulder and you vanish quite streets chairs and coxcombs rush upon my sight vexed to be still in town i knit my brow look sour and hum a song as you may now John Wilmot, Earl of Rochester, Love and Life All my past life is mine no more, The flying hours are gone, Like transitory dreams given o'er, Whose images are kept in store, By memory alone. Whatever is to come is not, How can it then be mine? The present moment's all my lot, And that as fast as it is got, Phyllis is wholly thine then talk not of inconstancy false hearts and broken vows if i my miracle can be this live-long minute true to thee tis all that heaven allows a song of a young lady to her ancient lover ancient person for whom i all the flattering youth defy long be it ere thou grow old aching shaking crazy cold But still continue as thou art, Ancient person of my heart. On thy withered lips and dry, Which like barren furrows lie, Brooding kisses I will pour, Shall thy youthful heat restore, Such kind showers in autumn fall, And a second spring recall. Nor from thee will ever part, Ancient person of my heart. Thy nobler part, which but to name in our sex would be counted shame, by age's frozen grasp possessed, from his ice shall be released, and soothed by my reviving hand, in former warmth and vigour stand. All a lover's wish can reach, for thy joy my love shall teach, and for thy pleasure shall improve all that art can add to love. Yet still I love thee without art, ancient person of my heart.
3: Afra Ben, Love's Witness. Slight, unpremeditated words are borne by every common wind into the air, carelessly uttered, die as soon as born, and in one instant give both hope and fear, breathing all contraries with the same wind, according to the caprice of the mind. But Béédu are constant witnesses, substantial records to eternity, just evidences, who the truth confess, on which the lover safely may rely, their serious thoughts digested and resolved, and last, when words are into clouds, devolved. Epitaph on the Tombstone of a Child, the last of seven that died before. This little, silent, gloomy monument contains all that was sweet and innocent. The softest prattler that e'er found a tongue, His voice was music and his words a song, Which now, each listening angel smiling hears, Such pretty harmonies compose the spheres, Wanton as unfledged cupids, ere their charms, Has learned the little arts of doing harms, Fair as young cherubins, as soft and kind, And though translated could not be refined, The seventh dear pledge the nuptial joys had given, Toiled here on earth, retired to rest in heaven, Where they the shining host of angels fill, Spread their gay wings before the throne, and smile.
1: John Milton, an extract from Paradise Lost, Book Nine. For now, and since first break of dawn, The fiend, mere serpent in appearance, Forth was come, and on his quest where likeliest he might find the only two of mankind, but in them the whole included race, his purposed prey. In bower and field he sought, where any tuft of grove or garden plot more pleasant lay, their tendence or plantation for delight. By fountain or by shady rivulet he sought them both, but wished his hap might find Eve separate. He wished, But not with hope of what so seldom chanced, When, to his wish, beyond his hope, Eve, separate, he spies. Veiled in a cloud of fragrance Where she stood half-spied, So thick the roses bushing round about her glowed, Oft stooping to support each flower of slender stalk, Whose head, though gay carnation, purple, azure, or specked with gold, Hung drooping unsustained, Them she upstays gently with myrtle band, Mindless the while herself, Though fairest unsupported flower, From her best prop so far, And storm so nigh. Nearer he drew, and many a walk traversed Of stateliest covert, cedar, pine, or palm. Then, voluble and bold, now hid, now seen among thick woven arborets and flowers, embordered on each bank, the hand of Eve. Spot more delicious than those gardens feigned, or of revived Adonis, or renowned Alcinous, host of old laity's son, or that not mystic, where the sapient king held dalliance with his fair Egyptian spouse. Much he the place admired, the person more as one who long in popular city pent, where houses thick and sewers annoy the air, forth issuing on a summer's morn to breathe among the pleasant villages and farms adjoined, from each thing met conceives delight, the smell of grain, or tedded grass, or kine, or dairy, each rural sight, each rural sound. If chance, with nymph-like step, fair virgin pass, What pleasing seems for her, now pleases more, She most, and in her look sums all delight. Such pleasure took the serpent to behold this flowery plot, The sweet recess of Eve, thus early, thus alone, Her heavenly form, angelic but more soft and feminine, her graceful innocence, her every air of gesture or lest action, overawed his malice, and with rapine sweet bereaved his fierceness of the fierce intent it brought. That space, the evil one abstracted stood from his own evil, and for the time remained stupidly good, of enmity disarmed, of guile, of hate, of envy, of revenge. But the hot hell that always in him burns, though in mid-heaven, soon ended his delight, and tortures him now more, the more he sees of pleasure not for him ordained. Then soon fierce hate he recollects, and all his thoughts of mischief gratulating thus excites.
3: Find out more about the Tonsons in this week's TLS, which also includes Charles Bukowski on strategic writing, Joyce Carol childhood secrets, looking afresh at the French Resistance, John Buchan as journalist, the influential Bruegel clan what it means to be a redhead, and much more. To read a free selection of pieces from this week's issue, go to our website, the-tls.co.uk. You can read the TLS in full every week in print or via our app, which is available on iTunes and in the Amazon App Store. The TLS. Life in every word.